Welcome. Welcome everyone to Reading Oceana, a celebration of youth literature from Pacifica, New Zealand and Australia. My name is Susan Lamarca and I am the Regional Director for the Oceana section of the International Association of School Librarianship and the Executive Officer of the School Library Association of Victoria in Australia. I'd like to formally and respectfully begin this event by acknowledging the traditional owners, the traditional peoples of the land on which I am today, the Wurundjeri Wilam people, one of the five tribes of the Kulin Nation, the traditional owners of this land. I would also like to pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging and specifically acknowledge the important role of story in the history and the lives of the traditional owners of this land. Okay, welcome everybody, here we are. There are 20 countries represented here with us this afternoon with nearly 300 individual registrations for today's webinar. It would be lovely if you could all write in the chat the traditional lands of where you are today. This event is being provided through a partnership between the International Association of School Librarianship, the IASL, the Oceana region, and the IASL Children's and Young Adult Literature Special Interest Group, the School Library Association of Victoria, and the School Library Association of New Zealand, and also the Charles Sturt University's Children's Librarianship Specialisation. We have come together to share and celebrate youth literature from the Oceana area. We have a very full and exciting program for you. This event is set up as a webinar, so our attendees are watching but not able to be seen or heard on the screen. Please feel free to ask questions in the Q&A function or use the chat to communicate. We are recording this event because I did remember to press the button and we'll make a link available to all participants following the event. We have created a Padlet for this session and encourage all participants to add resources to this page and we will put the link to the Padlet in the chat, but you will have received it in the various emails you've had about registration. It is now my great pleasure to welcome Casey Garrison uh, to introduce our very first speaker. Over to you, Casey. Great, thanks so much, Susan. And hi, my name is Casey Garrison, and I'd like to acknowledge the Gadigal and Biribiribal peoples of Australia, the traditional custodians of the lands on which I am speaking from today. Um, I am the chair of the Children's and Young Adult Literature Special Interest Group within the IASL, and I'm also a senior lecturer and coordinator of the Children's Librarianship Specialization at Charles Sturt University here in Australia. I'm very proud to be introducing our first speaker today, Dr. Belle Alderman. Belle is an Emeritus Professor of Children's Literature and the Director of the National Centre for Australian Children's Literature at the University of Canberra. So the NCACL includes an amazing collection of books and ephemera related to Australian children's literature authors and illustrators. They also have a wealth of online resources supporting teacher librarians and educators to build authentic collections representative of the diverse peoples across Australia. So some of those links are already included in the Padlet, but I will now hand over to Belle to give us some more details on that. Hello, everyone. Thank you very much, Casey, for that introduction. I really appreciate that. Now, I'd like to start the slides, please. And uh, due to a few little technical hitches, I'm just going to say next when I'd like the next slide on. So welcome to the National Centre for Australian Children's Literature. Next. 
Uh, I'm very pleased to be here with you today. Next slide. Landmark developments for us. We began as the Lou Reese Archives, a national collection of children's books and files. We added translations. We're located at the University of Canberra. In 1981, publishers began to donating all the books that they'd published. We established as a tax-exempt charity and a deductible gift recipient, which means that we can collect the author's papers and manuscripts, publishers' archives, and artists' artwork. In 2012, we incorporated in the ACT. Next. Well, we really wanted to expand and share and reach out. We have all these resources. So we decided to join Facebook and Twitter a great thing to do, I must say. Um, and we renamed ourselves to indicate what we really want to be, a national centre for Australian children's literature. And of course, we had to have a website. We had one that was linked up with the university, but we established our own. Then we established a cultural diversity database. The next year, Aboriginal and or Torres Strait Islander people's database. And then just last year, the Verse Novels resource. Next. We were inspired by the concept, windows, sliding doors, and mirrors. And I noticed that some others of us have used the same kind of concept. A window, of course, is a resource that allows you to view into someone else's experience. A sliding door allows the reader to enter the story and to become part of that world. And the mirror is the story that reflects your own culture and helps you build that identity. We were inspired by that concept. We also were inspired by a lot of those figures. One in four of Australia's 28 million people were born overseas. 46% have at least one parent born overseas. And nearly 20% speak a language other than English at home. Next. Well, we thought we have to do a cultural diversity database. We wanted to share the expertise we had. Remember that we have all these books close at hand luring us, saying we must say something about them. We researched similar databases around the world, especially in Canada and in the US, and we copied the aspects that we liked and then developed our own. There were a, quite a number of us who read, discussed, and annotated these books. We wanted to identify the literary and artistic qualities of these books. It wasn't just about cultural diversity. We wanted these to be used more widely. We added our curriculum links for the Australia, and we assigned key concepts. Next. These were the key concepts that we identified as being in these cultural diversity books. And you'll notice there's some nouns, for example, asylum seekers and, and conflict, but there's also things like compassion and empathy and hope and kindness. Uh, so we used a range of those then to identify the concepts in the books. Next slide. I'm using screenshots because as anyone knows, if you do anything live, the database is bound to crash. So these are all screenshots that show you what's in the database. You'll end up when you enter the databases with a page of the jacket covers. And this particular one, if you look down where it says on the search filters, it says, select key concept. I've chosen refugees. And there actually are 100 books in that database that cover the topic refugees. And you'll notice those that there's quite a lot of a whole range of books from different age groups and also from different authors and illustrators. Next. 
So this is what you would see if you clicked on one of those jacket covers. You'd, you'd get the bibliographic details, author title, publisher date, and the Australian curriculum codes. You'd also get the annotation. I want you to notice the little star underneath that book jacket, Armistice. Next slide. One of the facilities of this database is that you can share it with a colleague. So if you log in and register, and it's free on our website, you'll be able to share everything that you find. Uh, you can share it by, uh, by Facebook, you can print it out, you can direct message a friend, you can use WhatsApp. So it enables you to share what you found. Next. Moving on to our second one. Well, we were so immensely proud to be funded by the Commonwealth Department of Education. They looked at our cultural diversity database and figured out that we, we knew what we were doing. Mind you, we were still beginners. We, we really only had a year's worth of experience, but we were funded by them and a private donor. We were guided throughout by First Nations people who helped write, consult, uh, gave us advice along the way. So that was extremely important. We couldn't have done it without them. We also had the expertise of 20 people across Australia from different cultural backgrounds. They were each assigned a number of books. Uh, they read, annotated, chose subjects, located teaching resources, where the stories were located, if that was available. They also identified the Aboriginal languages, if that could be found, and the creator's cultural background. So not only did you have the book, but you had everything that we could find out about the book. The database now has 525 titles for young people from birth through secondary. It supports educators, homeschooling, anybody who works with you. Anybody can use this. It's not just for, for educators. It continues to grow. There's six more books that arrive today. Uh, it offers easy searching. Next slide. The simple searching is the bibliographic author title, that sort of material. But we actually have identified 650 subjects that are within that collection of over 500 books. There's the audience level from birth to secondary, the Australian curriculum links, and as I mentioned before, you can identify the language. You can also identify the cultural background of the people that wrote the story. Next. This is a slide that it's actually, they're arranged if you pulled into the database, it would you, it's arranged alphabetically by title. So you can notice here that there's a, a range of titles that are included, but I want you to look down in the bottom left-hand corner with 10 square, 10 square scared fish. And for the next slide, it's as if you had clicked on that and you can see the information about it. And even though this, the audience for this book is zero to four years of age, it has language in it, which is extremely important for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. Next slide. And here's a, a set of the teaching resources for that particular one. We were determined that everything would be free. So all of these are hyperlinks that are freely available. Of course, we all know that links go dead. And if people let us know, we'll change it. Okay, next slide. Uh, you can see that what I've searched on, select subject, is astronomy. So these are the, uh, the 10 books that come up when you search on astronomy. 
Next slide. And I wanted to show this particular publisher because they're a new Aboriginal publisher. Uh, and this particular book, which is suitable up through primary, also has language in it as well as English. So really, really important for us to be able to do that. Next slide. These are the subjects that are available for that particular book. And of course, you could search on all the other books in the database that are about rain and rainfall or children as artists or children as authors. Next. First novels, extended narratives and free verses. If we didn't have enough to do, we, we, we were just overwhelmed by the richness of verse novels. So we collected, we used a Microsoft product, free product called Sway. Uh, learned how to use it very quickly and um, put it together. Next slide. So this is the kind of material that you'll find. Australian verse novels, ex extended narrative, maybe short individual poems, tells a story, a hugely strong and in-depth emotive kind of story, clear access to the story. And on this particular database, we offer those sorts of ideas, themes, awards, curriculum links, and next slide gives you an idea of what you'll see in this particular Sway project. It really does look very good and it's really not all that hard to do. So in this one, we're adding curriculum links. We're using themes. So you can see in this particular one, belonging, bullying, there is a, a sense of emotions. And all of the hyperlinks are again to free resources. Next slide. So this one, really, the readership of this one, you can see, is upper primary and lower secondary. The same kind of information is available, teaching links that are free, um, and that kind of material. Next slide. What's next? Next slide. Well, we have 29 publishers who are donating all their books. We have 50,000 books, 4,968 languages. 80 collections of illustrators' artworks, authors' papers, publishers, and business archives, and 550 unique files about authors and illustrators. The collection is valued at 10.5 million. It doesn't belong to us. This belongs to Australia and the world. Next slide. So before pre-COVID, we would have three to 800 people visiting us face-to-face. Uh, we have missed them, missed them so terribly. Uh, between Facebook and Twitter, which you remember we started in 2014, we have nine and a half thousand people who are following what we're doing. So we have a responsibility to keep doing things and to share what we have. We have our website, uh, we have an e-journal, and we have an e-newsletter. We collaborate with other major institutions so that we can have exhibitions and programs because we really don't have any place uh, and we don't have any money. However, we're developing income generating strategies. Next slide. Next. Okay, this is just a few pictures of us. Next slide. So a little bit of everything. We want to work with kids, with teachers, with parents, with Bob Graham, illustrators, authors. Uh, we share whatever we've got with students and with staff and anybody that we can find. And I know that everyone who's listening is an aficionado of children's literature. Write, 
we we are passionate about it. We want to do things, uh, and that's where we are now. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope that there'll be some questions later on. Thanks so much, Belle, um, to you and the team at NCACL for developing such wonderful resources that can be used worldwide and that are free. <laughs> so that's yeah. really awesome. Um, and yeah, we'll have some questions after the other presenters. So I'll hand over to Sasha and our next presenter, Nicola. Kia ora from New Zealand, Aotearoa. Welcome to the next part in today's webinar. Mate huruhuru ka Timanu. This is a well-known whakatoki, a Māori phrase that means adorn the burn with feathers so it may soar. Whether you are young or old, there's always room to grow. Learning a new skill, solving problems and helping others are just some of the many feathers you can wear in order to soar high. The more strengths you have, the higher you'll fly. And here we are gathered together to learn together. My name is Sasha. I am a library manager at a primary school in Fielding, Manawatu, New Zealand, Aotearoa, and I am the current school, um, the current School Library Association of New Zealand, Aotearoa president. It's my honour to be introducing our next speaker, Nicola Daly, who's a children's literature expert and the associate professor in the Division of Education at University of Waikato, who will be presenting about Etoru Nga Reo Multilingual Picture Books in Aotearoa. Thank you, Nicola. Thank you, Sasha. Thank you to Susan and Claudine and all the people who've made today possible. And Belle, I just have to say how wonderful it is that you're listing all the languages in the picture books because I've worked in in collections all over the world and they haven't done that and it's made it so hard to find the books that I want to find. Um, as you can see, um, I'd like to start with a short um, uh, mihi. I can see that we have people from Ngāpuhi to Kaitahu and from Hungary to Hong Kong. So greetings to you all. Enga mana, enga reo, enga rangatirama, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā tātou katoa. Thank you very much for um, coming along today. And my background is as a sociolinguist and a children's literature researcher, and I'm very interested in languages in, in New Zealand picture books. I'm very interested in who the audience for those picture books is intended to be and what the linguistic landscape or the way that the languages are set out in picture books implies about the purpose and the audience of the picture books. Next slide, please. So, Multilingual picture books are not new. Here I've got a, just an image from Orbis Pictus, which was a, a multilingual non-fiction picture book way back, published way back in the 17th century, published as a quadrilingual edition a little bit, a few years later. And what multilingual picture books tell us about, as well as telling the story or the information that they're, they're sharing with us through the text in the image, they tell us about language and the status of language in different societies and at different times in our history. Next slide, please. I use an approach called the linguistic landscape of multilingual picture books when I analyze picture books. I look at a range of books, um, um, with a often with a cover term of dual or multilingual picture books, but 
in different forms. Some of them are what I call interlingual picture books, where there are there is one language that dominates with a few words from another language interwoven. Others are, I, I call bilingual, where the text is fully in both languages, and the image you can see there is is one such book. And sometimes um, dual language or multi-language picture books are multi-version, so that at the same time or at different times, the same book is published in different languages. Since about the 1960s, um, there's been an increase in the number of bilingual and multilingual picture books. And in New Zealand, Māori English um, picture books have increased in number since the 1980s. And as I talk today, I'm often talking about the idea that Bell's already introduced of the idea of windows and mirrors and the idea that these books can validate people's linguistic identity, um, create wider language awareness, and also promote literacy. Next slide, please. The official languages in New Zealand since um, 1987, Te Reo Māori um, was made an official language of New Zealand. It's the indigenous language of New Zealand. Um, since in 2006, New Zealand Sign Language was made an official language. English isn't an official language, but it is a de facto, it, it isn't a de jure official language, but it is a de facto official, official language in New Zealand. And it is the language that most business is done in. Um, the importance of having um, minority or minoritized language recognition aims to support the linguistic rights and the language vitality of languages. Next slide, please. To give you a little bit of a sense of Te Reo Māori, this is, it, this is a language that is increasingly a part of the national identity of many New Zealanders. Um, it's considered by eight out of 10 New Zealanders to be part of their national identity. One in six Māori adults say they can speak Te Reo Rangatira or Te Reo Māori, and nearly a third say they can understand the language at least fairly well. And the New Zealand government has a strategy of having one million speakers of Te Reo Rangatira or Te Reo Māori by 2040. Next slide, please. So a bit more information about the um, sign language. You could put all the all the text up on this slide, please. Um, most New Zealand sign language users are deaf since early childhood and socially connected with other deaf people. 95% of deaf children have hearing parents. So um, there's much more learning between um, learning of this language horizontally than between generations. So children are often learning from other children or people in their same generation rather than learning from parents because many of them have hearing parents. New Zealand lang lang sign language like Australian sign language and sign languages all around the world has a distinct grammar and semantics. And children's books are really important for New Zealand sign langu language acquisition for deaf children. Um, they expose um, readers to mature language models and access to the story knowledge within the stories as well. Next slide, please. So this linguistic landscape method I'm talking about is based on an approach that's used to using that has been used for assessing um, the status of languages in public spaces. And when we look at the linguistic landscape of any space we're in, and I invite you to look around where you are right now, we look at what languages dominate, what languages are given more space, what languages are given first. And when we're looking in books, we look at comparative typography, which language is given bold, which language is given in italics. And we can make some assumptions about the relative status given to languages based on those. Next slide, please. So for the rest of the, the presentation today, I'm going to give you a little tour through the, um, 
a range of books to show you some changing um, approaches to languages and attitudes towards languages in New Zealand. Um, here we have what I think is one of the first bilingual books um, published in New Zealand featuring Te Reo Māori and English. Um, it's Crayfishing with Grandmother, published in 1973. This was at a time when um, the, um, the um, movement to promote Te Reo Māori and to bring it back from a time when it was very threatened was gaining momentum. It was before Te Reo Māori was made an official language. And here in this uh, book, we see that even though this is a bilingual book all the way through, it has only English on the front page. There is a glossary at the back, which gives Māori words in English. That, um, so you see that the intended audience is probably English speakers. And the Māori text given on every page can be used to follow the story, but the fact that it isn't given on the cover too makes you think that maybe the intended audience is English speakers who might want to learn Māori, but Māori isn't given status on the, on the front cover. Next slide, please. A few years later, we have something that, a book that is a classic, still in print today, written by Patricia Grace, illustrated by Robin Kahukiwa, published by Penguin in 1981, a story that interweaves some um, Māori words in the English text, and I've listed the words um, there that are woven into the English text. These words are not italicised, so they are given the same status as they're not othered in the text in any way. A glossary is given for the loan words, these loan words at the back. So again, we've got an indication that this book is intended for people who might not know these Māori words. Um, on another version of this PowerPoint, which we couldn't show because I had a few technical problems, I had the other cover of the simultaneously published um, Te Kuya Me Te Punga Were Were, the um, Māori version of this book. And in 1981, it was very unusual for the books to be published in, at the same time in both languages. Um, the author has talked about how she had to um, argue for that. She was involved in the revitalization of Te Reo Māori, and for her, it was really important that there were two versions of the book published. Next slide, please. For a period of time in the 80s and 2000s, many of the books um, published in New Zealand um, had two versions to them, um, an English and a Māori version published at the same time. And there wasn't so much of the bilingual books. And I believe this is because this was at a time when um, Māori medium education was being developed and taking off in New Zealand. So there's a Māori medium education system from kindergarten through to university in New Zealand. And these books keep Māori books um, separate without English in them, because that's important when you're um, working in a Māori medium setting to have books that have Māori only. English is surrounding you in the outside world. So it's important to have um, resources that have Māori only. Next slide, please. But moving along a few years into 2015, um, we have a, the establishment of a, pub, a publisher called Reo Pepe, who produced beautiful board books featuring Māori and English, created by um, a, a, a pair of cousins who decided who wanted books for their own children to bring to Reo into their homes, and um, so therefore um, made books to, to meet that need because there weren't any on the market. In these books, Māori is given first, Māori is bold, Māori is bigger, English is given underneath in smaller text. And this shows a change in purpose. This is a book for um, learning Te Reo Māori and bringing Te Reo Māori into the homes. Next slide, please. And then reflecting the um, establishment of 
New Zealand Sign Language as an official language, 10 years after it became an official language, we have some books coming out featuring um, New Zealand Sign Language in static form. So here we have a book, Jack Seals Big, where the, English, where the text is mainly in English, but on several pages there's, there are three languages. English is always first, Māori is second but larger, and a pronunciation guide is given for Māori, so that you can see the audience, maybe somebody intended to be for people who may not be able to pronounce Māori. Um, and, but the characters who embody the signs, as you can see on the bottom image there, um, dominate the page. And so New Zealand Sign Language has a big presence in the linguistic landscape of these pages. Next slide, please. And here's another board book series that's come out showing the New Zealand sign on each page as well. And again, the signs are much bigger than the text and, and are given um, status on the page in these books. Next slide, please. And the next two slides have got um, um, examples of um, video recorded picture books. Here we have a New Zealand Sign Language version of The Little Yellow Digger, where we have the signer in front of the text and very prominent on the page. So again, sign language is given a lot of prominence on this page. Next slide, please. And here's another familiar one to you. We're going on a bear hunt by Michael Rosen with a, an avatar signer this time. Um, and I've given the, all the links for these books um, in the um, Padlet if you want to follow them up. But here again, we have a brightly coloured dress avatar in front of the text. So the New Zealand signed version of these books are, are given quite a lot of um, status. Next slide, please. So coming in to finish my presentation, these um, picture books reflect tell us things about the changing status of language language and languages in New Zealand. Of course, there are many, many other languages spoken today I've only and represented in picture books, but I, today I've focused on the three um, national uh, official languages, if you like. And um, through, through looking at the books, I hope you've seen the changing status of the two languages in addition to um, English and the changing relative status of the languages, the changing expectations of who the authors and sorry, of who the audience is. Next slide, please. Why does this matter? This matters because children's books play such an important role in language acquisition. And when children acquire languages and look at images and text in books, they're not only acquiring language, they're acquiring attitudes towards language. If languages, uh, if languages that are threatened are to be maintained, they need to have prominence in the linguistic landscape of children's literature, and they need to reflect the identity of children and not just English speakers. Next slide, please. So to conclude, picture books do reflect language status and they also support changes in attitudes. They have the potential to support changes in attitudes. Thank you so much, Nicola, for that. A very um, brief but um, deep in depth. Um, summation of, of the maybe I squeezed too much in. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was great, and thank you for all the links on the Padlet that everyone can um, be referring to. That's lovely. Um, I'm going to pass on to Claudine now to present and introduce our um, next speaker. Tina Koto Katoa. Hello and welcome, everyone. Uh, my name is Claudine Crabtree. I am the Library Manager at Baradine College in Auckland, New Zealand, and a member of the National Executive of SLANSA, the School Library Association of New Zealand. 
Um, it is my very great pleasure to introduce David Riley, the Reading Warrior. David is a South Auckland-based teacher and children's author. He's written nearly 60 books for children. I actually have a few here with me. I thought I'd just show. There were some, we have a lot of David's books in our own library. Uh, he has done writing projects with schools, community groups, and young people and youth justice units. David will share how he works with Pacifica communities to create books for young people in English and their home languages. Over to you, David. Cool. Awesome. Thank you, Claudine. Uh, thanks, um, everyone. I'm just going to share my... Um, Is that sharing? Is that is that sharing with you guys? Uh, yes. You just you just hit from beginning. Yep. There okay. Thank you. So um, yeah, thank you guys. Um, kia ora from Aotearoa, New Zealand. Uh, my name is David, and um, I grew up in uh, the beautiful village of Mangere in South Auckland. Um, my wife is um, Samoan, and her family originates uh, from the village of Leoba in Samoa and that's um, a picture of my daughters and um, their cousins in Samoa there. Um, my background is that I'm a high school teacher and uh, I taught drama and English at a school called Tangaroa College which is in Otara in South Auckland and the students at uh, Tangaroa are mostly Pacific and um, Māori. Um, when I was growing up um, stories were big to me just like they are to you guys and stories have always been a huge influence. Um, do you remember um, this one, uh, Puffin Stuff? And I remember being so scared of um, Wichi Poo and her, uh, her buzzard pet, um, Get Smart. Um, I always loved his use of language and his witty one-liners. And um, Batman, I really enjoyed the wacky characters that they, that they had in those stories. And when it came to reading, um, Faraway Tree was always uh, a good read and fascinating to think about all the lands that were on, on the tree. And I always read um, every Thursday, my dad would come home with his rugby league magazines and I would read them straight after him. Um, my mum bought a series of New Zealand history books called New Zealand Heritage and reading those made me really proud to be a Kiwi because it was all about the amazing things that New Zealanders had done in the world. And I just remember a feeling of of pride as I read through those books. And my favorite author at that time was um, Barry Crump, and he's a Kiwi, a Kiwi author. And the reason that I liked his books is because the characters and the stories uh, reminded me of my dad and uh, his friends at the rugby league club and my uncles and that. And it was the first time that I actually saw myself um, in the book and people that I could relate to. Um, and this really made me want to be a writer and, you know, to, to tell stories as well. Um, growing up with all these, you know, amazing characters and language and stories and the emotions of um, Puffin Stuff and other stories made me want to be a writer. Um, but I didn't do it because, in my mind, I thought writers looked like that. And so I thought a writer is um, rich, wears a suit comes from New York or LA, could never be um, David Riley from Mangere. 
So I never told anybody about wanting to be a writer. Um, I never knew any writers, didn't see anyone when I was growing up who wanted to do that or, or even did that. So it didn't seem like it was a possibility um, for me. Um, we fast forward um, 30 years and now I'm a teacher at Tamaro College and I'm teaching English. I take my students down to the library and say to them, okay, guys, need to go and um, select a book so we can do some reading. And, you know, um, for me, reading was always like this picture here. You know, reading opens your mind and reading inspires you. Reading can help you dream. And that's what I, I wanted for my, my students as well. But, you know, sure enough, 10 minutes later, they would come back. So there's no books in this library that um, we want to read. Books in here are boring. And that's because they couldn't see themselves in books. Um, this was more the experience of, of books and literature in that world. Whereas for me, when I was growing up, I could see myself in, in books, and that's why I love to read. Um, and the things that I was interested with there, it wasn't like that for, um, for my students. Um, and it reminded me of something that Joy Cowley once said, um, that she was working with some children in an Inuit village, and she asked them to write a story. And one of the children started crying, and she asked him, why are you crying? And he said to her this, when I try to write, I stand outside myself. And what he meant was the act of writing a story was really foreign to him. And it was like he had to be someone else to write a story. And I really related that to um, the experience of my students as well, that reading was something that they were outside of. It wasn't really a part of their world. Um, so I thought, okay, you know what? I, want, I love to write. I've always wanted to write. I'm going to write a book for my students if I have something to read. So I wrote this book here, and it was a, it's a, it's a collection of um, achievers and role models who have Nguyen um, ancestry. And so um, my friend, who's Nguyen, he said to me, hey, who's that for? And I said, oh, that's for my students in my class. And he goes, oh, man, you're thinking too small. What about the Nguyen young people in um, West Auckland and over North Shore and even Nguyen people back in Nguyen? They want to read that too. You should get it published. So, you know, I'm so grateful to my uh, mate for encouraging me to think big. And so I got it um, published. And now I was able to give the book into the hands of my students who are new in and say, here, you can now see yourself um, in a book. But through going through that experience of publishing, I didn't really enjoy it, to be honest, because just the whole, the whole world of publishing, I didn't really enjoy. And, and mostly that it was, the work was now owned by someone else. So. I decided from that moment to, to um, self-publish my books from then so that I could control everything about it. And, 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 and because I just really needed to um, pump books out because uh, there's an urgency you know, for our young people to be able to access reading. So these are some of the books that, that I've done um, during that time. Um, and as well as that, um, I, you know, when I was a drama teacher, I really wanted children in, in our community to see um, Pacific stories told in children's theatre, because most children's theatre that, that we see is, is usually Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, you know, it's those classic European stories which are awesome, but I, I wanted Pacific children in our community to see Pacific stories. And so I always got my, um, my drama students, we would create children's theatre based on Pacific stories and perform it at our local theatre and school groups will come along for free and watch. And I, I, you know, I'm, I'm so um, glad about this work because you can see that these children in the audience are mostly all Pacific 
and they are watching Pacific performers on a stage performing Pacific stories. And that was beautiful to, to see. Um, and then from there, we, um, we decided to turn those stories into books as well. And so this is a, a collection of books which are um, from different Pacific islands and um, they're bilingual as well. And they kind of look like that on the inside. So they have English and then they have the, the language, the, um, the mother language. And the children can also listen to the, the story being read to them as well. Um, so I work with teams of people from those different cultural groups when, when I make those books. So for example, this is the, um, the Samoan team. So, and these are all um, people that I've either worked with or taught or, or, yeah, or friends. So you can see my translator there is a colleague of mine and the illustrator is an ex-student of mine and the narrator, he's another ex-student of mine. So we all work together as a team. And that also protects me as a, a European person and making sure that that's done correctly um, culturally. Um, and another really cool thing that we've been doing the last couple of years is called Kainga Puka Puka, which means home libraries. And so I've been looking for sponsors who will pay for boxes of books that we deliver out to families so that they will get, um, this has been really important during the COVID time with the schools closed and libraries closed as well, that you know our kids can still have access to, to books and um, so they can get food parcels and they can also get book parcels but the difference is the books are, are, are relevant to them. Um, and something that I've really enjoyed doing recently as well is uh, working with Pacific community groups and children to write and publish and own their own books in their own languages. Like this, um, this project we did with the uh, Tuvaluan community in Auckland. Um, before we did this project, there was not one Tuvaluan children's book in the New Zealand library. So imagine if you were a Tuvaluan child and you went into a library not once in your life had you ever seen yourself in a library book, you know, but now they can. And we, we made eight of those last year and we made a, making another eight at the moment. So it's a really amazing feeling to know that these children will have the same experience that I was lucky to have when I was growing up of being able to see myself and things I love and things I know about in, in books. And we did the same with um, Kiribati community as well. Um, I worked with some Kiribati elders and we did that same thing. So we, we created the very first Kiribati children's books in New Zealand um, and they're bilingual as well. And will our children read? Will our Pacific children read? Yes, most definitely. If they can see themselves in the book, um, if they can see themselves valued, they will definitely read as these pictures here prove. And not only that, but their parents will read as well. And these are our Tuvaluan books in the Tuvalu National Library in Funafuti, which was uh, really awesome to know that they have also gone back um, to the islands as well. Um, so some, these are some of the other groups that I've been working with, um, children and young people, and helping them to publish and own their own writing. They own these, these books. Um, and you know, the, the beautiful thing is that the covers are in their languages, the, the authors, faces, excuse me, are on the front, the author's names are on the front. So any child now from any of these particular cultures who goes into a library looking for a book will find it. Um, and that's the goal is to keep on making more of these. And what do we write about? Well, we just write about everyday life, you know, and, and, and the beautiful things about their cultures and about living here in Aotearoa and 
yeah, and just sharing it with the world. Um, I, I really love this aspect of the project where um, the stories bring um, generations together, such as this Nguyen boy, he wanted to write about how to make Nguyen necklaces. He didn't know who should he ask? Well, his grandmother. And his grandmother, she loved to share that story with him. And she took him through the whole process of how to make it. They made one and then they took it to the cemetery. So, you know, our elders, they have so many stories to tell and they want to tell them. And this is, um, you know, through literature is an amazing way to connect young people and elders together through story sharing. Um, another aspect of the projects that I really love is, is bringing in Pacific professionals to talk to the children, such as journalist here on the top left and a photographer on the bottom left. And so those Pacific professionals, they also show our children other pathways that are available for them who love storytelling and also give them advice for the work that we're doing. We also take them to um, Radio New Zealand and they record their stories, reading them themselves. So they practice all that verbal language skill as well and just get to know the, the wider world of, of publishing. And launching books at schools is always an amazing um, experience. Um, had, having our families come along to school to celebrate their children and to celebrate a book um, authored by them. And yeah, these are just a, a few of the pictures from um, those. So um, I'm just gonna share with you now just a little uh, video to finish off about what it kind of looks like. She loves salmon sounds like Oteno for Pole or Aloia Fiber. I always feel safe in my head. My auntie loves to um, hear old songs. I think it brings back the history to her and it also reminds us of our grandparents and great grandparents. And it makes me like remember how much our parents have gone through just to get us here. My best memory of South Auckland. This is my favorite memory because I like spending time with my grandpa because it's fun and he always gives me money. I try to repay him sometimes because he's done a lot for me and my family. Everyone loves me, My favorite thing to do is walk to the dairy. There are posters on the window with drawn faces on them. I walk inside and smell the big bean mince and cheese pies. I buy the richest gold bars in the world, almond gold. I love the feel of fresh, soft white bread. In the on a street, like Cook Island, Samoan, Tongan, and Modi. One thing I look forward to is the flea market on Saturdays. So they could go and see it for themselves and so they didn't judge. Because when, when you're watching the news, you see like the bad things happening every time. But they didn't like usually catch the good things. We like celebrate each other's culture. South Auckland is not as bad as you guys think. You hardly ever see or hear the good things about South Auckland. They only show the negative, the negative side of things on TV. So everyone just judges from what they see. South Auckland is an amazing place to be. There are good things that happen in our place. 
for example, like the food kitchens, they um, serve food mm. to people who need it. South Auckland is a safe and warm place to live in, and I'm proud to be here. Yeah, so um, thanks everyone. Um, that's just what I, I, what I wanted to share with you today. Um, it's all about valuing and um, celebrating uh, uh, the lives and stories of the young people in the community that, that, I, that I live in and that I've grown up in. And um, it's exactly the same as what you guys are doing. So yeah, thank you very much uh, for your time today and for listening. Thank you. Thank you, David. Um, we've got a few questions actually. Um, David, one of the questions is if your students are interested in speaking other languages, what form do they prefer? Storytelling, reading books or drama dialogues? It's all different. All yeah, three. All of those. Yeah, all of those. Yeah, it just depends. Can, um, it's music as well, um, dance as well. Um, there's, there, yeah, it's just all. Yeah, there's so many different ways that our kids love to share stories, um, depending on who they are. Um, some love, love to do it in groups as well. Some love to do on their own. So yeah, lots of lots of that. Um, another question is, is this type of publishing able to be done in a way that covers its own costs? Yes, yeah. Yeah, so this is, the thing is that what I found is that um, you know, there was such a mystification about publishing and about being an author, you know, but it's, it's so accessible for all of us. And we can use the, we can sell the books to fund the cost of the books. So yeah, it's, it's definitely achievable for everyone to do. And there's no gatekeepers anymore. You know, we can, we don't have to wait for someone to pick us and say, I believe in your work or, you know, I pick you. We can pick ourselves and we can, publish our own work if we want to do that. And that's what I love to share with our, our young people and our elders as well, that they don't have to wait for someone to, to, to you know, say that your work is valuable. You can say your work is valuable. Yeah. There's a question for Belle. Um, I'm familiar with the concept of viewing as the window and mirror, but could you please clarify what you mean by sliding door? Thank you. Oh, oh, Belle, I think you might be muted. Okay. The idea of the sliding doors is that you can step inside and live in that world that's being explored. So it's, it's sort of like immersing yourself in the story. Okay, and there's one from the club. Uh, what do you think about the future of digital copy of bilingual literature? What kind of copy do you prefer the most for readers, hard copy or digital copy? Thanks for that question. Um, a lot of all the books I've been looking at, except for the sign language books, have been um, hard copy rather than digital. But that's not because I prefer them. It's because they they tend to be more books in that form. The beauty of digital books um, for bilingual and multilingual books is that you can avoid some of the uh, preference that are given to languages when something is in a static form. So you could have a, I haven't seen one, but I'm sure you can have a digital book where you can. Um, decide which language you'd like to ha have 
on the page. You don't have to have one first and one second and you don't have to have one bigger than the other or smaller than the other. You can actually decide. And if you are learning a language, you might decide to have one language that you're trying to learn um, larger and the language you know more that is more familiar to you below to support you. So digital bilingual literature has got a lot of potential for um, avoiding some of the ways that languages are privileged in, in multilingual children's literature. Thank you. Thanks, Nicola. Now I need to finish my lovely, more hopefully lovely, uh, thank you to David. Um, I think there's a couple more questions coming through, um, but before I do get to those, I just wanted to say um, thank you so much, David, for your time today and all your amazing work in the world of children's literature, for helping Pacific readers to see themselves in stories and helping to make reading a part of their world and helping them dream. Thank you, Claude. So there's another question to Bell if we've got time. Uh, what do you think about the major, or what, maybe it's what do you think is the major barrier to promote cultural diversity, literature, and social media? Well, goodness, that's a that's a, that's um, a big question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I guess maybe learning how and and uh, sharing with people who've already got expertise. I mean, I learned from a friend who gave me a five-minute lesson on how to do Twitter, and she said, "There you go, it's yours now." <laughs> Uh, so by sharing with people who've done it before, uh, mm. you know, I think that's the best way. And people who are keen and enthusiastic about sharing. I mean, all of us obviously are. Uh, so ask somebody that, that's already been there, done that. Okay. And I think, uh, I think this one might be for David, maybe. I'd like to know how the books are received by students from other cultures. Yeah, you know, um, it, it really surprised me. The very first one that we did was um, with a, a group of children at a, a small school in Mangani. And and I thought probably the only people that will be interested in this work are the local community and the kids' families and that. But it's been um, purchased from schools all over New Zealand and also in Australia as well. And when I asked one of the uh, um, a principal who from Invercargill, who, who bought them, which is way down the bottom of New Zealand. I asked him, why, why did you buy um, these books for your school? And he said, because they have a unit where their children compare and contrast their lives with the lives of children in other places. So, you know, I think that's quite common for in schools for them to look at the lives of children in other parts of the world. So, yeah, it's been awesome to be able to add that resource to that topic because a lot of to be honest, as those children were saying, a lot of the the, the national um, thought about South Auckland, this community, is negative um, because of media uh, focus yeah. on crime, you know, issues. And now, you know, we can show kids in other areas of New Zealand. That's not really what this place is like. Yeah. Um, and Nicola, has there been any work done on Braille versions of multi-language children's books? There's a lot of crossover with vision impairment and New Zealand Sign Language, for example, so I'm curious about what is being produced. Mm. The only book I know of, and there will be more, it, this is my lack of knowledge more than anything, I, I don't know if you know Footsteps in the Fog by Margaret Mahi is a book that has Braille in it as well as English. 
uh, text. Um, I haven't done any research on it and I'm not aware of research that has been done, but that's not to say that it hasn't been done. It's an area that's good for me to think about. Um, I run an annual picture book seminar actually, and this year our focus is on um, children's picture books and um, disability and inclusion. And so I'm hoping that that's an area that will come up in that. Brilliant. Yay, well I think that's everything. There's somebody asking a question about whether there are any books using Auslan in Australia and I don't know that. Does anybody know? Oh, else? okay, I didn't I missed that one. Oh, here we go. Um, I know that New Zealand Sign Language is being incorporated into children's fiction. I wonder if anybody here knows whether the same is being done in Australia for Auslan. Maybe Casey or Belle. No, I don't know. Okay. No, me neither, but I, I was thinking maybe a good next database, Belle. <laughs> in the entire time. <laughs> There's always the next database. <laughs> oh. Oh, okay, so I think that's everything um, and everybody's questions and answers and how lucky are we to have you wonderful speakers. Um, thank you so much. Thank you everybody out there. It's so exciting to have people from so many different countries. Um, this is my first Kind of involvement in a webinar and I am really excited about um, hopefully the impact we're having and um, who we've been able to have today. So thank you so much. Um, we look forward to seeing you at future IASL, SLAB, SLANSA and CSU events and we'll share details for accessing the recording in the Padlet link by email to all those who registered. Stay well and happy reading.